0: Hello. Let's turn to the seed packet. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we read these words from Paul. I'm reading from a different version. Let's just do your best to uh, follow it uh, in uh, this version. Chapter 5, verse 1. And there Paul writes these words, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet, swelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting of for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talk, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret." But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, but whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And may God bless that message there to our hearts. I just want to think about a theme that comes from that last word from Paul, awake thou that sleepest and Christ will give thee light. Worldly songs, you know any? I'm sure you do. Back in the 1970s, or rather thereabouts, the well-known country and western singer Glenn Campbell sang a song with the words, Dreaming my life away. That's what we're thinking about. And of course, you don't normally dream unless you're asleep. Though in the Bible, God spoke to many people through dreams. And the word sleep appears in the authorized King James Version at least eighty-eight times. The first time sleep is mentioned is Genesis chapter two, where we're told that the Lord God caused us deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he that is God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then that rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into woman, he brought her to the man And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Did Adam dream under God's anesthetic? Well, we don't know. But that was the first sleep ever in the human race. Conversely, God never sleeps. Are you aware of that? God never sleeps. And uh, Adam's first sleep was Adam's sleep, I should say, was the first sleep ever, and that is until the Son of Man, the God man, was tired and slept in the back of a boat on the lake Galilee. Also in Psalm 121 verses three to four, the Psalmist says to the nation of Israel, He that is God, will not let your fruit be moved or slip. He that keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Sleep does not affect God. It only affects us. And then in King Solomon's psalm, did you know that Solomon wrote a psalm or two? 127 verse 2, Solomon writes, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he that is God... Grant sleep to those he loves. Sleep is necessary. You'll have found that out by this time in your life. And it's important. But apart from people who can be more tired because they're on medication, it would be neither wise or right or safe or productive or even health-giving if any or all of us simply slept all the time or most of the time. And really, we'd just be dreaming our lives away. The story behind Glen Campbell's song, Dreaming My Life Away, is about a man who had deep longings for a loving relationship with a certain young lady. And we're supposed to get the message that he's hoping against hope that it's going to work out for him and for her. But the circumstances, of course, will not allow it. And so he says in the song, I'm dreaming my life away. It's not a good thing to do to dream your life away. So the man behind the the story will uh, never become, the dream rather, will never become a reality. It's a human problem that we're always in our minds and our hearts. We're somewhere else than where we ought to be and frankly where God wants us to be. And I want to suggest to you that for the whole of mankind, right from our earliest beginnings in history, as a race of beings, we have been in a kind of stupor, a dreamlike mental and emotional and physical and spiritual stupor. But you know, there's a more dangerous sleep than just the one that you might have if you're not well and you're physically trying to sleep. A more dangerous sleep, and that's what I want to talk about: the sleep of the soul. The sleep of the soul. We sometimes think of that as when somebody dies, the body goes in the ground and the soul sleeps. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a lack of awareness of things around us. And with this soul sleep, we are truly, and and we, and we are not only dreaming our lives away, but we're putting our lives. We're putting ourselves in a most horrendous and dangerous situation, and in fact, it's a situation that might well end up with us being lost for all eternity. Have you heard Christians using that phrase, "lost for all eternity"? When we use that phrase, we're not saying that we will not exist in eternity. We're not saying that we will that we will disappear in eternity. What we're really saying is that the eternity of those lost to Jesus Christ will be of continuous punishment and pain of the sort we can't begin to imagine. If you forget everything else I say, listen to this. You don't want to go there. Really, you don't. And that's why we're warned about these things. We are very, very far away from the kind of reality that our God has planned for us. The famous Augustine of Hippo in North Africa, in his confessions, his thoughts written to God, he wrote these words, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are lonely or empty until they find their rest in thee. Billy Graham put it a different way. He said, inside every human heart, which we've been hearing about, there is a God-shaped gap and only God can fill it. And you see, if we completely miss the point that we are beings made in the very image and likeness of our Creator, then we've lost the plot. We've lost His plot for us and we have not understood and we do not understand that without him right at the very center of our beings and at the very center of our lives even our lifestyles fully and completely wrapped up in and with him then we're living the most useless and fruitless dream of all if we continue that way then we're not only lost from a expected reality the one we want for ourselves, but we're also going to be lost for all eternity. I once said to kids in one of the churches that I was in, how long is everlasting? We got some different answers. But everlasting means everlasting. It lasts forever. Eternity means exactly the same thing. It lasts forever. And you don't want to be in the wrong place during that eternity, or with the wrong people. Similarly, if God in Christ is not ours in every sense of what it means to belong to someone, especially to our Creator, then we're heading straight for hell. It's not a popular message, but it is a necessary message. And if you don't get this message you'll never understand anything else. And don't think, or don't let anyone else have you believe that there's no such place as hell. The Bible makes it very clear that there is a hell. And as Jesus said himself, concerning the two ways, one leads to eternal life and the other one leads to eternal destruction. And this is what he says, enter by the narrow gate, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in at it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and listen to this, and there are few who find it. That means few in comparison with the ones that will be lost. There will be more people lost in eternity then they will be saved in eternity. That's what the Bible tells us. And then Jesus says this. He says, be, fair, be, be, be aware of false prophets. I'll start again. I got that wrong. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He's pointing out a danger. Listen to who... Watch who you're listening to. Be careful of the messages you hear around the world. And you know, from the very beginning of mankind's history as a race, we've been getting fed lies by false prophets. Satan, the snake in the grass, being the first false prophet. Has God said, you will surely die? You will not surely die. Do you know what Satan was doing there? He was calling God a liar. That's what he was doing. And he went to Eve and he said, God is lying to you. And there will be people who will leave this world and stand before God as judge and not as Savior, and they will not realize before it's too late that they've been lied to by the biggest liar there has ever been. Most importantly, if we are just dreaming our lives away, oblivious to the very real unawareness, uh, we have a real unawareness of eternal danger our souls are in, then such an unawareness of eternal danger is a state of mind and heart and personality and character. Either at the end of our lives or at the return of Christ, we will find out that He is the judge of all the earth. And further to that, when Jesus, the Son of God, does return, it will not be for salvation. It will be as judge. A recent Christmas season, we were reminded of His first coming, when He came at Bethlehem as the Savior of all those who would believe in Him, and that they would repent, that is to turn away from their sins, and that, that really means our fallenness, not just our bad choices, and to accept Him, as Sandy reminded us last week, that we need to accept Him as Lord. He needs to be number one, not us, not you, not me. He needs to be number one. And you know, that's what the first advent, the first coming of Jesus was all about. How many people were ready and prepared for that coming? Herod was not prepared. Pilate was not prepared. The disciples in certain ways were not prepared. Lots of people were not prepared for His coming. And the Jews as a nation, not every individual, but as a nation, they rejected Him. What does John say in chapter 1 of his gospel? He came to His own, and His own received Him not. Their awareness was either wrong or just not there. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13, Jesus tells a parable. A story with a very important meaning and lesson. And it's the parable of the ten virgins, waiting as they were for the arrival of a certain bridegroom. We're not told if the ten virgins were bridesmaids or the bridegroom's bride was one of them. It doesn't matter. But the purpose of the parable was most certainly not to emphasize that they'd fallen asleep, which they had, but in doing so, five of them had not made provision enough for the oil and their lamps so they could meet with the bridegroom. And to cut the story short, they had a physical sleep, and in that sleep they were unprepared, unaware, they did not know how soon it was going to be that their bridegroom would arrive. They were dreaming their souls away. And the result of the five foolish virgins was that they, when the prepared ones went into the wedding banquets, they just heard the doors closing behind them. And you know, the thing that Jesus says at the end of the parable is a terrifying thing to hear. He says, and the doors were shut. And they would stay shut for those five foolish virgins. And in their unpreparedness and their unaware state, their last opportunity to be accepted and to belong was gone forever. It would never return. Sandy told us very well, wisely, and lovingly how aware we needed to be to be ready to accept Jesus Christ Himself as our Lord and King. However, this message is reinforcing the reality that not only must He be our Lord, but he must be our Lord now, now, not one hour from now, not one minute from now, not one year from now, it has to be now. When I lived in air, one of our members in the air Baptist Church was a man called Mr. White, and the members soon heard the news that Mr. White had gone to his office one day, as he usually did and he turned the knob of the door into his office and dropped dead, right there at the door. He didn't know it was going to happen. Nobody knew. Fortunately, he was a Christian, so he was safe. But you know, I was in the town just a few days ago, and I found myself thinking of the people who would appear In the obituary list at the steeple, you sometimes might have had a look at that, and who would similarly not have been expecting not to be around in 2020. There were a few who died in the first week of January, but there were 12 people, think about this, 12 people whose names were on that list, and between Christmas and New Year's Eve, they didn't know that they would not be there at the beginning of a new year. They're gone. We don't know anything else out there. But they didn't expect it. And I mention that not to be insensitive or to be gruesome or to be in any way negative, but to face us with the reality of the fact that for most of humanity, they are not prepared that we've got a limited time to be in this world, and how important it is for us to know in whom we have believed and trusted our souls to, and how safe we can be, even in the reality of death. It was precisely because Jesus knew what hell will be like, that He went and that He wanted to come into our world and save us from it, and to show us that although God is and will be the judge of those who reject what Jesus did on the cross. God wanted us to know that our Creator loves us so much that He gave His Son in order to win our souls for eternity instead of us being lost in hell. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, there's a phrase that says, our God is a consuming fire, which I take to mean that should any unsaved soul stand in the presence of this pure and holy being, God, and also because He's such a powerful and glorious God, the souls and bodies of the lost cannot stand in His presence. They would just get burned up by the glory of God itself. Daniel's reminded us of that many times. And you know, if we're in a constant state of unawareness of our predicaments or their consequences, we truly are on the road to hell. We're living in an absolute ignorance. Of what's ahead and there's no th- chance not even a slim chance of coming back from that destination and i want to make this c- clear at this point that i'm speaking to you and all of us of the danger of being unaware that's the sleep that's the dream that we're dreaming away our lives in and it's a mental th- a mental and emotional and spiritual frame Uh, We'll end up with a tragedy because we're not prepared for the end of our lives or for the end of the world. You know, the greatest sin, some people wonder what sin is. Sin actually means missing the mark. It's not the things you do wrong or the things you do right that make the difference. What makes the difference is the fact that we're a falling race. And if we don't realize that we're a fallen race, we will never be prepared to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the greatest sin of all is unbelief in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? If you don't believe, you might be the best living person on the planet, you might be the nicest person on the planet, you might be kind, you might be gracious, you might be anything else, but you were born in sin. That's what David says. Psalm 51, I was born in sin, in sin did my mother conceive me. And the fact of the matter is that if you don't belong to Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, that's the greatest sin. And that's why in John chapter 18 verse 8, but John 16, I should say, verse 8, Jesus speaks of the three-sided role of the Holy Spirit's work, where he says, and when he, that's the Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me. Did you get that? Of sin because they did not believe in me. That's the one that will get you into hell of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged. So I would plead with you, with anyone who is in this state of mind, that you're not aware, that you're asleep to the fact that they are still in a state of unbelief as to whom Jesus was, why He sacrificed Himself to make us aware of it, and the consequences of that unbelief if it's not a belief in Him. You know, I want to tell you something very, very lovingly. This is not just of the highest importance. It's not even just urgent. It is urgent. I want to put it to you this way. It's an emergency. If you are not in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that is an emergency. You could be like any one of those 12 on that list if you do not know Jesus Christ. And you know, and you need to re- respond to that before it's too late. <coughs> In Hebrews chapter two, verse three, the writer to the Hebrew Christian says this, "How shall we escape? There's a good question for you. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation?" You know, somebody once produced a tract, a gospel tract, a little leaflet that tells you the gospel. And the title of this little tract was, What Do I Need to Do to Be be Lost? And there was one simple answer, nothing. If you don't do anything about it, you're lost already. The Bible says, whoever does not believe in the Son of Man is condemned already. And all you need to do to be lost is nothing. And God is crying out to you. This is not a perfect word. I'm not a perfect man. But he's crying out to you at this minute. And he's saying, listen, you don't know if you'll be here tomorrow. You don't. Mr. White didn't know he was going to die. These people in the list in the the tower, they didn't know they were going to die. And you know it's the most foolish thing in the world not to to be prepared to go on any journey where there's any danger. But this is the most dangerous journey if you're not on it and your life is in the hands of Jesus Christ. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Also in Ephesians chapter five, which we read earlier, Formerly Saul of Tarsus, Paul says, Arise, sleeping ones, and stand up out of the dead ones. This is a different translation. This is a literal meaning from the Greek. Listen to the words. Because of this, He that is God says, Arise, sleeping ones, and stand up out of the dead ones, and Christ will shine in you. That's what needs to happen. And then, just for a moment or two, let me just share this with you. What we see in Matthew's gospel is the warnings that God gives us of the times in which we're living. We've been hearing about the earthquakes. We've been hearing about the volcanoes. We know about the fires in Australia. You know, there are prophecies that the sun will at one point in our history, not give its light. The moon will be also taken out of our sight. And they were saying on the reports about the fires in Australia that there were places where the air was so thick you could not see the sun. It was getting like nighttime. I'm not saying that's the result of this particular prophecy, but that sort of thing is happening you know, we don't understand the times in which we're living. We don't understand these things. We don't accept that that's happening. And you know, there's a great many warnings in the Bible. Paul says we should be redeeming the time in terms of salvation and working for God because the days are evil. Look out there. Listen to the news. Everything you hear is evil. How aware are we that the world around us is dying, and therefore, it will come to an end as the world that we knew? In the same literal translation I mentioned, we hear these words. Jesus says to His hearers, learn the parable of the fig tree, which in its branch becomes tender and it puts out leaves, and then you know what time of year it is. You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things, these things beginning to happen, know that it is near. The coming of Christ is what he's talking about. Truly, I say to you, in no way there will this generation pass away until all these things have occurred. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, ever pass away. But as to that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angel of heaven, but only my Father. But as in the days of Noah so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as it was in the days of Noah, before the flood, eating, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage, until the day Noah went into the ark. How many were in the ark? Eight. Out of millions, quite possibly. And they were all washed away by the flood. Why? Because they would not hear the warnings of Noah's message. And that's what I'm sharing with you. The reason why Jesus focuses on the circumstances of the world is because they were not prepared. What happens if something happens now in our world, even in our town, in our country, and we're not prepared? What if suddenly the government changes its mind about Christians being able to worship? What if the poor and the needy are pushed to one side even more than they are just now? What happens if somebody invades our islands? You know, there's a kind of invasion that doesn't need an army. It's just an infiltration of people with a different plan. We have got people coming into our country And some of them, we don't know who they really are. We need to be prepared for anything. Because when this world comes to an end, we need to know where we're going. We need to know who we're going to be with. So I'm leaving that with you. I'm just asking you, I'm pleading with you, that you listen to the warnings. Look at the signs that are happening in the world, in our country, these natural disasters that are happening around the world, and see that Jesus is telling the truth when he says, these are the beginning of the birth pangs. The world is dying. Don't die with it. Make sure that you belong to Jesus Christ, and make sure that you belong to him now, so that you will know his peace and His love, because, you see, the thing that God wants to do for us is to let us understand that He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us in order that the punishment that should be ours and will be ours, if we're not believers, that fell on Jesus. There are fires falling in Australia, but the fire that fell at Calvary didn't fall on us, if we're believers. It fell on him. That's why he sent Jesus, because he loves us. Don't ignore the love of God. Don't ignore the warnings of God, or it could be too late. I'm just going to ask Daniel if he would close in a moment of prayer.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Vince. Nobody likes to be shaken, to be woken up from, from his sleep. Try and do that to somebody in your family that is sleeping. It's the most, you know, uncomfortable thing, you know, to wake up. Because you enjoy the sleep, you enjoy the rest. It's very interesting how Paul in Ephesians 5 and in Romans, he uses this. He has a pattern. Just read all his epistles. And it starts with our blessing, position, redemption in Christ. And then he moves how we should work out this. And in Ephesians and in Romans, he has this theme of wake up. I was uh, doing the national service for a year, you know, you have to be ready there because they will give you the alarm and they will shake you up when you least expect it. And I always, always felt disturbed. I just wanted to have... Well, anyway, it wasn't very much time to sleep. but I wanted to, to get the sleep. With all the snoring, that were 40 people in the same bedrooms, you know, you just wanted to get your hours of sleep. And then they will come and... Drrr, the drill and you have to wake up. You just hated it. And I know, it's that feeling in us to hate when we are woken up. We want sweeter messages, and I would like to give, but Jesus said that last times there will be a time when the love of many will grow cold. And the last time Jesus comes to say to the churches, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I was one time, one time when as a watchman, uh, one time when I didn't bother when the drill happened. You know what? When I was a watchman. When I had, when it was my duty, it was my turn to be overnight the guy that will watch over the whole unit. And, you know, I said, "Okay, it may happen now. I'm ready. They can drill it. They can sound it as loud as they wanted. It. it will not bother me because I was ready. I was prepared." I said, "This kind of messages is hurtful for those that are sleeping, but these kind of messages are an encouragement." For those that are awake, because we know that we are standing in the light and that they will not catch us unprepared. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sensual, sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Hey, Lord, you've chosen today to give us another wake-up call. Lord, look through the Holy Spirit among us who is sleeping, Because, Lord, no matter how disturbing this may be, we want, Lord, to be all woke woke up when you come. We want, Lord, to be found living awake, living, Lord, in the light, not dragging the filth of this world with us, not living in the pleasure of the flesh, but being dressed in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, please look. One soul has been touched by you and wants to give his life to you and to follow you in baptism in a few weeks' time. Lord, there is plenty of water for others. There is plenty of grace for others. There is plenty of heritage in heaven for others. There is plenty of forgiveness for others, Lord. Please let them hear your call and let them wake up and let them leave the light of darkness. Let them leave, Lord, the light of sleep and come, Lord, into the light and be saved as well and be redeemed together with us. And Lord, we who are redeemed, please, Lord, help us to be awake for the sake of others who are sleeping, so others, Lord, may awake around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.